Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Eco Chic, a podcast all about practical science and sustainability. My name is Laura, and I'm a graduate student studying climate science. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I am so, so happy to have you here. Eco Chic is a really cool place to talk about a lot of things I take for granted, like general climate change education or personal sustainability efforts, things that are not necessarily common knowledge, but totally should be. We're talking about climate change from a bunch of different angles, but also just tips on how to be a more responsible citizen of the planet. Today on EcoChic, I'm really excited to be speaking with Megan Faletra. Megan is a humanitarian, a global health dietitian, and a sustainability expert. She's the founder of The Well Essentials, a space where she encourages others to rethink the way in which they consume and also the impact they wish to leave on the world. She is also the founder of The Well Company, which is a global health and sustainability consulting practice dedicated to addressing social justice in our food systems and health equity globally. Megan regularly contributes to online magazines like The Huffington Post, Forbes, Mind Body Green, and has worked with different companies to develop health and sustainability-focused campaigns in the food, textile, travel, lifestyle spaces all over the place, really. She's so accomplished and so well-rounded. Megan has two master's degrees, dig this, one in global health and one in international food policy. Megan is also a registered dietitian. She really has all the credentials. She has so much to say about sustainability from a whole bunch of different angles in the food space, and I'm really excited to just be talking to her. I've been following Megan on Instagram for probably eight or nine months now. I heard her on the Nourishing Women's podcast late last year, which is one of my favorite wellness podcasts. And she just really moved me with her story of working abroad and the new definition of sustainability that she really had to rethink. So she has a really long family background in food, in organic farming, and going to markets with her grandparents, things like that. And she went abroad and just realized that people in other countries have really different relationships with food than we do here in America. And she just brought back a lot of knowledge on how we should think about our farmers and how we should think about our waste. And, you know, there is more to sustainable diet than veganism purely. So I'm really excited to be sharing a little bit of her with y'all today. Well, Megan, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I'm so excited to have you here on EcoChic and just hear a little bit of your background and your story. I'm excited to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you. For those listeners who might not know you, could you give us a little bit of introduction to yourself, who you are, what you do? Sure. So I am a dietitian. Um, I focus mostly in public health and sustainability um, work. And so I do a lot of consulting in that space. Um, I've done a lot of global health work um, all around the world and have my master's global health and also a master's in international nutrition. So that was really, I think, where I got started, I guess, in this career path and decided to go on to be um, an entrepreneur, start my own business. Um, So I founded The Well Essentials, which 
really my main purpose was to educate the general public about all of these different issues related to nutrition, um, sustainable food systems, and global health that I had been able to witness both um, through my master's programs and also just in the research work that I did um, thereafter. And I just, I think that individuals have so much um, power really to create incredible change on the world. And I love getting to inspire some of that, um, I guess some of that, yeah, well, inspiration, I guess, for people to take control of of the impact that they can make on the world around them. That's really great. I love that you've taken so many different um, background experiences and put them together into a really cohesive, holistic little niche for yourself in the Well Essentials. I would love to talk a little bit about how you got into sustainable nutrition more specifically, because it seems like a little bit of um, a word pairing, I guess, sustainable and nutrition that is not very often talked about. Yeah, no, it's not, you know, and I think, um, especially when you're a dietitian, um, there is a pretty, you know, honestly, there's not a straight and narrow path anymore, but there used to be, you know, it was pretty Mm -hmm. clinical, you go and you work in a hospital, Um, but I actually started, I got interested in sustainability, and I got interested in nutrition um, after traveling internationally. Um, I actually started right out of undergrad working in marketing communication. So I more had like this business degree and I wasn't very happy, but um, we, my, well, my husband, boyfriend at the time, we were traveling a lot. We were in Southeast Asia and it was the first time that I witnessed what real food insecurity looks like. And it just was one of those moments. It really felt like a light bulb went off and I just was like, this is what I need to do, you know, with my life. I need to learn more about these issues. I need to learn more about why um, food insecurity, you know, just occurs around the world, like why people have such different um, experiences with their food cultures and, um, and, and why, you know, global health inequity is still something that is a major problem um, and why global hunger is still a major problem. And so I just really was really passionate about it um, and decided to go back to school and got a global health degree like I like I said and through that global health program I really started to see the world differently um, and I started to just realize that we're all part of this giant system whether we you know whether we travel or, um, or work internationally or anything like that you know it, it doesn't matter every single person has a role in this global system that we're a part of and especially when it comes to our food because our food is coming from all over the world um and so when i was working on one research um assignment in rural guatemala i was working on a food insecurity project there i at that point realized that okay i was starting to understand the global health side of things and i was starting to understand you know what impacts food insecurity um but i really didn't understand the the clinical side of things so how does that then relate to an individual's health um and that was when I decided to go become a dietitian and get trained clinically and so I took this kind of back I guess back way into becoming a dietitian so um so yeah really the work that I do I think is really fueled by my passion for public health and for understanding um you know how how global health is impacted around the world um but I have this clinical background which is a little bit unique so 
I mean, I guess it's not really a short answer, but there were a lot of different paths that got me there. But um, I love the work that I get to do today, and I really wouldn't change, I wouldn't change, like, the path that I took at all. I think that's really great because it's 2018 and people are not taking that straight and narrow path like you mentioned anymore. And I think it's really awesome that your, you know, your past experiences have really brought you to this place that you're you're at now where you can really impact people's lives to the best of your ability. So I applaud that, just like that just wind about path to the well essentials. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I think more and more people too, they um, are resonating with, you know, just not, not feeling like they have to stay stuck and maybe what they thought that they were going to do when they were 18. Um, and, you know, it's not easy and there's a lot of different choices you have to make. There's a lot of you know, there's, there's a big financial investment, especially if you go back to school. Um, and I think that, especially if you're going to start your own business, which to me ended up being the way that I felt like I could make the biggest impact. I just felt like working for myself was um, ultimately how I was going to be able to share all of these experiences that I had had in this very, um, just kind of different background, you know, that I had pulled together. I didn't feel like I'd be able to do my best work necessarily working for um, another nonprofit or another you know institution um, but everyone's path is different and I just think if you th- you have to think hard about it but if you're really passionate about something and you and you feel in your gut that it's right like you just have to trust your intuition and 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 kind of stay in your own lane and just go for it you know yeah absolutely I love that I think I'm a big believer in just like do whatever feels right and the universe will give you what you need um, so I am all on that train. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk a little bit, you mentioned the concept of a global food system where everyone is a player and we are all having a hand in our global food economy. So even if you are, you know, I live right now in Arizona, like what's going on in Guatemala is impacting me in some way. Um, and I would love to talk about global food economy in conjunction with climate change. Um, so yeah. climate change is also one of those things that's impacting everybody, whether they realize it or not at the individual level and climate and agriculture is obviously incredibly related. So I wanted to just talk a little bit about how you see climate change really impacting our global food economy. Yeah. I mean, I think that climate change and agriculture are so interconnected, um, even though we've made so many incredible advancements when it comes to agriculture from a technology standpoint, um, even from the, you know, the way that we're, the way that we're harvesting some of our food now and just some of the different advance, some of the different advancements we've made, even in, um, the types of, you know, seeds that we're using when it comes down to it, whether you know, really is one of the biggest players um, in our agricultural system. And when we're talking about climate change, the expectation is that climate change is, well, it's already affecting agriculture and we're seeing it, you know, we're seeing it in areas that are experiencing really bad droughts. Um, I mean, even in the United States, something that I think everyone's aware of, of what's going on in California, which is one of our biggest agricultural um, states, right? Um, But climate change in terms of how it affects agriculture and especially then how it affects food insecurity is something that's going to be unevenly distributed across the world. So there will be some parts of the world that may be positively affected by some of the changes to climate change. And then there's going to be a lot of the world that's going to be very negatively affected. And unfortunately, um, a lot of the predictions right now, it seems like 
a lot of the places in the world that are in these lower latitudes um, that will be affected by climate change the most are also areas that are already pretty food insecure. So areas that um, areas that are already having issues with food insecurity and are already having a lot of issues that are related to um, natural disasters and, and weather-related issues are only going to be experiencing that to a greater degree when it comes to climate change. Um, and some of these parts of the world, you know, are, are where a lot of our um, a lot of our food staples come from, like wheat and corn and and rice. Um, so when those staples change and when those staples are impacted, we have a you know we have a large part of the of the world that's going to be impacted just from a food insecurity standpoint. But then we're also going to see food prices change, and I, I mean, I just think that it's a ripple effect that we're starting to see now and is only going to get worse and worse and worse over the next you know few decades if if we don't do something about it and the 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 thing about climate change i think is that we you know there's a lot of scare tactics out there and in many ways for really good reason but i think that the individual person gets really overwhelmed when they hear that and so what i like to focus on is more what people can do and in my opinion agriculture is our best um is our best bet for combating climate change, which I think is really exciting if we can move on it quickly. Right. Um, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. Um, I think those are some really great points and something we do talk a lot about in the climate change space when it comes to human rights is that we know marginalized communities will be the first impacted, whether it is within the United States or on a city level or now globally, we're talking about it in terms of food insecurity, but um it's definitely something to look out for and you have to really think about how these communities are impacting you whether or not you are close by so i definitely appreciate you putting that out there on a more global level yeah no i mean i remember when i was working in guatemala they had had a um they called it a coffee rust and it's just a um a type of disease that would affect the coffee plants and um because coffee is a is a cash crop and is also largely exported from developing countries into developed countries that we all can enjoy it um here you know in the united states um it really negatively impacted the um the financial security of the regions where this rust really took over the crop and we felt it you know here in the united states um the you know the the price of coffee went up and i think that you may not realize why it's happening but it's still affecting you because you're still consuming most people are consuming products from all over the world and, and usually they're being imported um, from from developing countries that are going to have the, the smallest amount of wiggle room when it comes to how climate change affects their food insecurity. Um, and I think that's just what I'm so passionate about and what I want people to better understand um, is how, you know, they may not ever meet these people, you know, they may not ever travel to these countries, but they're still connected to them because most likely they made a cup of coffee that came from Ethiopia or, you know, um, or Guatemala or, you know, any of the other big um, coffee export nations. So, but that's just one example. No, I love that you brought up coffee. I have briefly talked about coffee on the podcast before because I think it's a really interesting cash crop that a lot of people don't really realize the gravity behind their consumption choices, I guess is the word, you know, like really voting with your dollars when it comes to something like coffee or a similar cash crop. And I would love, love, love to talk about 
sustainability when it comes to dietary choices. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to coffee, I look for things like fair trade certified or I want to buy organic coffee because I know it's better for the soil. Um, So I want to just kind of talk about some basic principles around a sustainable diet because the idea of cash crops is one thing and then people also get a little tripped up sometimes on, you know, when should you really be buying organic if you can't afford to buy everything organic or what does it mean to buy local or just like a lot of different things when it comes to sustainability in the diet. I think it could mean a lot of different things. Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot of different ways that people look at it. Um, I think that from a health, from like a personal health perspective, which is usually I think the entry point that people start with um, when they're starting to think more about where their food comes from, usually, and this is no one's fault, and, and there's really nothing wrong with it either, um, usually they're not thinking about necessarily the people in the places that are growing the food that are being affected or the communities that are being affected. Um, they're more thinking about how does this impact me and my family, um, and I think that, that's a great motivator, you know, and that's a great place for people to start. Um, so that's where I think, you know, lists like the Dirty Dozen um, that the Environmental Working Group puts out in the Clean 15 are helpful because they do help, you know, to narrow down, um, I guess, the priorities maybe for people, right? Mm-hmm. But the issue, I think, with those lists is that people say, okay, so all I have to think about is, like, these 15, I'll buy organic and then everything else is fine, and it doesn't really matter where it's coming from. It doesn't matter, you know, if my strawberries came from halfway around the world in the middle of winter, as long as they're organic, that's great. And I think that's where I would recommend to, you know, people to push themselves a little bit further because, I mean, the transport of food alone is contributing to climate change, you know, and the way that we're using fuel to really get our food to us. Um, And even though that strawberry may have been, you know, may have been certified organic, it still was most likely transported from really far away. Um, and it, you're most likely eating it out of season unless you're buying something that's local, you know, in your region and you're buying strawberries in the early summer, you know, when they're in season near your home. And so for me, I think it's great for people to maybe start with some of those lists, but once they get it down and they feel like, okay, you know, I want to do a little bit more, that's where I really challenge people to think a little bit more about where their food's coming from, how much of it they're eating in season, and how much they're supporting their their own local agricultural system, um, and where they could maybe make some, you know, some improvements there. Um, because ultimately, you know, there's no certification is, um, is perfect. You know, fair trade certainly isn't perfect, organic certainly isn't perfect, but they're what we have. And when we're participating in a global food system, I think labels have a role. It's just, we could think further beyond them. I think people get really trapped behind the label, if that makes sense. Um, And then there's the whole conversation around meat, which is very polarized. And I really believe that, um, that meat, if it is raised and done responsibly, can have a role in a regenerative um, and sustainable food system. Um, But that's just not really what mainstream meat is today, um, which is where, you know, we've, we've kind of gotten ourselves in trouble. Oh, I'm really glad that you brought up that point because I do think that the vegan lifestyle generally seems to go hand in hand down this like rabbit hole of sustainability. When you get into one thing, you get into another, you know what I mean? Like you get into, um, package free and then you end up becoming vegan you end up, you know, just little things like that. So I would briefly like to pick your brain about that 
comment on animal agriculture because I'm really interested to hear more about it. Sure. Um, so I was a I was a vegan for so I was a vegan slash vegetarian for um, a decade, and I am really glad that I was. And I think um, and I don't I mean also I don't judge anyone's dietary lifestyle. I don't tell people what to do or anything along those lines. But um, I think that there is in some ways some misconceptions um, just around you know, even the role that plants have um, in a sustainable food system. I mean, take a crop like almonds, which is very, which requires right. a lot of water um, and doesn't necessarily give out the, the same amount of inputs or, or, um, or give out the same amount of energy for the amount of inputs that goes into that specific crop. So I think that, you know, people are very quick to, to demonize um demonize meat but if it is done in a way that is very responsible and is done with the intention of um of working on regenerating the soil there's been a lot of research that has looked into you know using animals in conjunction with um with you know vegetables and other plant sources to really create a very healthy regenerative um soil and 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 can really do an amazing job in, in trapping carbon in the soil, which is which is called carbon sequestration. And it's something that I think, you know, we're starting to see more and more research around and that the animal industry, um, you know, is a big part of. So I think that there's not, like, there's not one answer, but, um, you know, also as a dietitian, I think that sometimes people adapt certain labels and then they stop listening to their bodies and I and I honestly don't believe that every single person could necessarily maintain a vegan or a vegetarian lifestyle forever I think there's certain people that just may require um animal protein it does it may not have to be in large quantities um but it may be something that they need and so I really try and tell people to really think more about where their meat's coming from, how it is being raised, um, you know, what the farmers are doing, like just know everything about it. And if you're supporting that type of system, most likely you're, you're, you know, you're, you're doing a good job in supporting a more regenerative agriculture process. Um, and it may be something that's good for your body too. So I think it's just, we need to think more on the individual level, if that makes sense. It's a, it's a tough topic. (laughs) No, absolutely. And thank you so, so much for bringing that up because I haven't really thought about animal agriculture in terms of um, regenerative soil quality. Um, I talk a lot about carbon sequestration like academically. I have learned Mm -hmm. quite a bit about it. And out here in the West, we do have a lot of um, ranches, especially in my area. And there's there's one ranch in particular, it's owned by the Grand Canyon Trust. And I don't want to like go and give any specifics because I don't like, I don't know a ton, like a ton of specifics on the Grand Canyon Trust ranching like practices, but um, I know they do have like X amount of acres and they're allowed, I want to say it's like 1800 cows or something like that. And then they only put on 600 cows and they have all this research showing that like putting out a third of the amount of cows that they would normally be allowed to graze on that land has done you know so much for the carbon sequestration of the region um yeah so i hadn't really thought about that because um i i call myself a vegan at home i don't bring any animal products into my home and then i'll eat them when i'm out yeah so it's like kind of an interesting like line that i'm teetering i guess on my own but yeah yeah so that's really interesting i'm really glad you brought that up 
Yeah, no, and I think that um, I really support the, and, and honestly, being a vegetarian and a vegan for as long as I was, it taught me so much about our food system. I just think it makes you really, really think more about it. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there there is something to be said for even if you're, even if you're a vegan, still thinking about, okay, well, you know, am I purchasing all of this, all of these plant-based foods, um, you know, that are coming still from halfway around the world and are being transported and, you know, are they organic? Like, were your nuts organic? I mean, the cashew industry, for instance, is, you know, a, a very labor-intensive industry with a lot of human rights issues that go on with it, within it, and it may be, you know, something that vegans don't necessarily think about. So I think it's, um, I like to think about more, and I, and I think, you know, if, if people want to have a label, then that is completely fine. But I love, um, I love encouraging people to think like beyond the label a little bit, you know? Right. Um, so whether you're vegan, plant-based, vegetarian, carnivore, whatever, just think more about where your food's coming from and the people that brought it to you and, you know, the, the role that you play in it. Because whether it's plant-based or, or meat-based, you know, I think you can, you can ask the same questions, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And... I think that's, like, a really good guideline to work with when you are, you know, crafting your diet, whether it is at home or out or whatever it is, because, yeah, a lot of the time you think about sustainability in terms of climate change and how the environment is being impacted, but a lot of people don't realize that sustainability is a term that we use in all sorts of different fields. When it comes to human rights, that has to be sustainable, too, and when it comes to, you know, the economy, like, where's your, like, where's your money flowing, and is that being sustainably you know, are you sustainably sourcing your money, things like that. So I oh, really absolutely. appreciate that. You're, yeah, you're completely right because it, when it comes down to it, there there's a degree of even, you know, privilege that goes into being able to maintain some of these certain lifestyles. Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, people shouldn't necessarily feel guilt over, but you should you should use that privilege responsibly. Um, and that's something that, you know, I certainly talk a lot about. And also why none of these conversations, like, they're not black and white and they're and no one's perfect. I'm not perfect, you know? Um, but I think the more that we ask these questions of ourselves, like the more we become educated, the more we become educated ultimately. Right. And then the more we can, the more we can impact the world around us. And I've seen it, you know, in my own life and I'm sure, I mean, anyone honestly that kind of just starts to go down this path, like, you do start to see like that those like ripples of change happen in the lives of people that are around you if they respect you and they are interested in what you're doing and you approach things from a really positive light like it's amazing the type of change you can make just within your own circle um which I think is really exciting yeah absolutely I have felt that definitely because sustainability climate change um things that I'm really passionate about I felt like people are just not people seem to be concerned but we're just like not talking about it openly and once you start that conversation, people will really start to see how it's impacting their own lives. So you don't necessarily have to do what I'm doing, but it'd be great if you just started to think about the choices that you are making um, when it comes Absolutely. to the planet or whatever it is that you're preaching. Absolutely, yeah. I think that that's... And you know what? I think I also, um, even though you know someone like you or me is so passionate about you know, global health equity and climate change and sustainability, it does, that doesn't mean that, that another person who isn't, um, that that's, that there's, that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. Like they just may need a little more 
guidance or they may be like, yes, I care about this, but you know what? I'm working like 14 hour days and I have three kids at home. And, you know, at this point in time, I'm worried about like our budget and I'm worried about, you know, making sure that they're eating well enough. So like, give me the basics, you know, and, and I'll go with that. And I think that, um, that if everyone can, if everyone could just kind of like start where they feel like they can, that would be amazing. You know, it doesn't like these, these giant changes are going, you know, while going completely plastic free or, you know, maintaining a zero waste lifestyle or, you know, potentially really, um, you know, purchasing the majority of your food locally or organic, all those things are amazing. Um, but they may not be realistic for everyone right away, you know? Um, and our food system and our economic system in a lot of ways doesn't necessarily make that easy either. Um, in a, in a lot of ways, it's just trying, it's making something like that hard. Um, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you um, just talking about how a lot of things do make these choices hard for us in our everyday lives. And a lot of it also has to do with like where you are regionally and where you are in your like, what do you have access to when it comes to buying bulk foods or buying organic foods? Or um, maybe you live in like a pseudo food desert to say like you don't have any Mm -hmm. great organic options near you or Um, You don't have a farmer's market or something like that. So I definitely appreciate you putting out there that this is really such a personal journey when it comes to making sure you're making choices that are like positively supporting your values, whether it is food equity or um, human rights or whatever it might be. So I definitely appreciate you just preaching that knowledge a little bit. Yeah, no, I think, you know, we have to start there. And um, I think that that's, I hate it when when you go into a conversation and someone finds out that, you know, you work in, um, that you work in global health or that you work in, um, sustainability or focus on climate change, you know, anything along those lines. And then like the eyes start to roll or, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like, you feel like they're like, Oh my gosh, like just waiting for you to get on your soapbox. And I just don't think that that's how we're going to make really, you know, great change. I think that, um, people feeling empowered in their own lives in a way that feels, um, doable, because the more the more you do, also like the more motivated you become. Like it, it you start small. Um, you know, I think take food for instance. Like you start just saying, okay, I'm only going to buy um, blueberries when they're in season, and then maybe that transitions to you know, okay, I'm, I'm actually only going to buy tomatoes when they're in season because they taste better. And then you realize what in season foods taste like and what you know really healthy or organically grown foods taste like um and then you get to know your farmer and that feels really good and then so maybe that then expands into you know your meat consumption or maybe you decide you want to reduce your meat consumption and I think all of those choices can be really positive you know they can come from a really positive place versus a restrictive place um because I I actually do think that that's where when we talk about like a, a sustainable diet I think that that's where we go wrong and it's okay I can't eat any of these things you know mm-hmm. um, because they don't fit into this box and then that becomes something that isn't sustainable long term um, which wasn't the point to begin with right right wow okay that's actually those are some great points and I really appreciate you coming on and chatting with us Megan before I let you go because I know I've taken up quite a bit of your time where can everybody find you online so I'm on um on Instagram and social media at The Wall Essentials. Um, and then that's also my website. So, um, thewallessentials.com. You guys can 
you know, find me there. And of course, too, if anyone ever wanted to email me um, any questions or anything like that, you can always direct message on over on Instagram. That's easy. Or email me. Um, and that's easy, too. Awesome. I will have all of those linked below. Well, thank you so, so much for chatting today. Yeah, I'm so glad we got to do this. I hope y'all enjoyed that conversation with Megan. I feel like I took a lot out of it personally, and I'm just so excited to be opening the discussion on sustainability in the food space here on Eco Chic. So I will have all of Megan's links down below, her Instagram, her website, where you can find her everywhere online. And before I get into my links, I want to continue with last week's new weekly segment. We're going to be talking about some sustainability pro tips. I'm going to be answering questions that I get frequently, or if there's any really good question that I get that week, I would like to address it here on the podcast, because if one person has that sustainability question, I have to imagine that others also do. So this week's question comes from my friend Kimmy, which I thought was a really, really good one because I think about this quite often, but I don't know how often others think about it. I like to carry around a reusable straw, a spork, and like a little canvas bag, you know, like a little zero waste sustainability kit in my little purse backpack thing that I carry around. Um, But something that I often get tripped up by is leftovers. Kimmy's question was, what do you do with leftovers? How do you avoid trash in that space? And I thought that was a really great question because I feel like a lot of people in the low impact zero waste community online generally advocate for taking around those um, like metal snapware containers. I think that's bulky and honestly super unrealistic. I'm not carrying around a Tupperware just in case one day maybe I might have leftovers. Um, I don't really go out to eat that much so I can't really justify carrying around a whole Tupperware in my backpack. But the other thing that I would like to advocate for instead is a collapsible container I found mine at REI. I feel like they're generally associated with camping, and that's where I found mine. Um, But it's just a flat silicone-type box, and then you pop it open. They have some that are like bento boxes that have different containers in them, but I just have a single-space one. And I think those are really awesome because they're lightweight. They're compact. They, like, really don't bug you if they're flopping around in your purse or in your car or whatever. So I would like to advocate instead for taking leftovers in a flatware collapsible container. Um, I have on my website a little sustainability supplies post page just on the top of lauraediaz.com. You can click supplies and it will bring you to a page where I have all these links to Amazon. Um, Just makes it really easy for you to shop for a zero waste kit if you're interested. Of course, I'm advocating first to please shop secondhand, take something out of the waste stream before you buy things on Amazon. But if you would really like to perhaps take around your leftovers in a mason jar, you know, secondhand is a really easy place to find those things. If you really feel like the time is now to just decrease your waste and you want to get everything on Amazon, I made it really easy for everybody. So I will link that also in the show notes. But yeah, so today's sustainability pro tip, leftovers, collapsible to-go containers. Check them out. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Eco Chic. If you have not already, please go ahead and subscribe to us, leave a rate, a review, and I'm so excited to see y'all here next week. In the show notes, I will have my Instagram if you want to chat about science or sustainability or anything else. That's the easiest way to get in contact with me. Otherwise, you can send me an email at laura at lauraediaz.com, also linked below. Thanks again so much for tuning in, and I will see you next week. Bye. 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.